Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. If I were to ask you today to uh, define the word house, how would you define a house? Am I kind of hot? Am I loud? Am I good? You guys can hear me okay? Alright, good. I can hear me. I just want to make sure you can hear me. <laughs> how would you define the word house? How would you define that word? House. Habitation. Anybody else? How would you define the word house? Dwelling? What was that? Families. So when the, uh, in the dictionary, uh, definition of house. It is a building that serves as living quarters for one or a few families. How would you define the word home? Is there a difference between house and home? Well, the dictionary defines that as one's place of residence, a house. <laughs> okay, a house. I'd like you to uh, open your Bibles today to Genesis chapter 28. We just, uh, we just finished singing a song that had the refrain in there, God of Jacob. And so this morning we're going to uh, consider an encounter with God, with Jacob. So I'd like you to open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 28, and uh, we will begin our time together. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to worship you, to sing, to lift your name, as we have done, and to meditate on your word through song. We pray now as we lift our hearts to you through your word, that your word might continue to minister to our hearts. May this be an act of worship as we come to you now. Bless our children as they continue to learn from your word, to sing songs together. And we thank you for those who teach them, who lead them, who prepare each week. May you bless them mightily now. In Christ our Savior's name, on this first day of the week, Resurrection Sunday, we pray. Amen. Genesis chapter 28, and you could uh, take a little time if you'd like uh, to read the context of this, of uh, Jacob. But after Jacob has uh, had this event where he has deceived his father uh, as being the firstborn, his brother Esau, who is the firstborn, uh, is, of course, very angry and is uh, out for him uh, to do him harm. And Jacob has to leave. He has to leave and go back to Haran, back to the family, the, 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 the family uh, where, the, where the extended family lives outside of Canaan, outside of Israel, outside of Palestine. He has to leave and go there. And he leaves all by himself. He is the uh, promised son. It's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are the patriarchs. And they are, that's the line of God's blessing through those patriarchs. But he is leaving and he's going all by himself. And you notice in verse 10 it says, Jacob left Beersheba, which is down south in in uh, Palestine, down south of Jerusalem, uh, closer down toward the Sinai. And it says he, he left Beersheba and he set out for Haran, which is way up north outside of Palestine, outside of Canaan. Verse 11, when he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. 
Now, a couple of things I want to, before we go on there, when in the Hebrew, there, there is a, this, this particular spot is significant because the, the definite article, the, is in front of it. He came to the place. And in our NIV translation, it, it kind of misses this a little bit, but in the, in the original language, three times in that verse, it has this definite article. Uh, he came to a certain place, the place, the stones at that place, and he laid down in that place. So even though in the NIV I'm reading from, it didn't come out that way. In the Hebrew, three times, it specifically basically says, the place. This is an important place. This is a special place. And the Hebrew really notes, notes that in the original language. Jacob doesn't realize that, but he comes to this very special place. And he takes a stone. Now, some of the Hebrew translations as well have stones. He arranges a pillow. Uh, this is not the kind of pillow you order over the Internet, right, for $100, the guaranteed, you know. This is a stone. But, you know, you've, you ever slept in an airport? Uh, yeah, you know. And uh, what do you use for a pillow? Whatever you got, right? Backpack, suitcase, books, something to kind of elevate your head, okay? So he is, he is on his own. He's traveling. And he finds some nice, comfortable stones uh, for a pillow or a stone to rest his head to sleep for the night. Verse 12, he had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. So he has this dream, this vision of this some translations have a ladder. I think stairway is better. It's this idea of a, it's a little bit vague, but something you would walk upon and, and you can walk up to the heavens. The, the word in the Hebrew heaven, Shemayim, is always plural. And it doesn't necessarily mean the outermost heaven, but up into the, the sky, to the heavens. He sees this ladder. He sees, this is kind of interesting. In the Old Testament, you don't see this very often of angels. You see the angel of God, and you will see sometimes some angels, but you'll have named angels, like you know, like we have Gabriel and so forth. But this is an unusual place where you've got this angels of God. And they're going up and they're going down. One little interesting side note I came across. The uh, great Jewish rabbi, one of the most famous rabbis, Rashi, who even today is considered one of the, the, the founding, uh, founding teachers of rabbinical school, uh, in, in his uh, commentary on Genesis, here's what he suggests. Those angels who accompanied him in the land of Israel were not permitted to leave the land. They ascended to heaven. And the angels which were to minister to him outside the land descended to accompany him. That's kind of interesting. I'll leave it there. I, that's not, you know, it's a sort of interesting thought. The angels are coming and the angels are coming down, are going, are going and coming. And he sees this vision. But then, as he sees this, there above it, verse 13, there above it stood the Lord. Again, translation, possibility, you'll notice maybe a footnote next to him. It could be either way. It could be above this, or it could be next to him. Either way, he saw the Lord, Yahweh. This is the personal name of God, the Y-H-W-H in Hebrew. He saw Yahweh. The God 
And there above it stood the Lord and he said, I am the Lord, Yahweh. I am the God of your father, Abraham. The God of Isaac. And now it's going to be Jacob's God. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth. This is the Abrahamic promise, Abrahamic covenant. You will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. The Abrahamic covenant, I will give you a land, I will give you a people, and I will bless the entire world through your offspring. And we believe this is fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ, the offspring of the patriarchs of the tribe of Judah, the Messiah. And this is the blessing to the entire world. Verse 15, I am with you, and I will watch over you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised to you. So Jacob receives this promise. He receives this guarantee of the Abrahamic covenant and blessing. He's now in that line of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, not Esau, but Jacob. And God has chosen Jacob for his own purpose. For his own purpose. Not because he earned it or anything else, but for his purpose. And he says, you are leaving, but I am going with you. And I will return with you. You will come back. And I am going to come back with you. And I will provide for you. I will take care of you. And I am giving you this promise. And I will not leave you until everything I promise has been accomplished. In verse 16, Jacob wakes. He awoke from his sleep. And he thought, surely the Lord is in this place. And I was not aware of it. This is a special place. God was here, and I wasn't aware of it. You know, you, you see a few times in the Old Testament these where, like, with the where, where people's eyes are open and, and they see this the spiritual forces around them. We read in Ephesians, right, that that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces in the heavenlies. Hebrews, we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses in this this spiritual world, this this real world that we don't see. Evidently, you know, is not that far away. And, and all of a sudden, Jacob is aware physically of God's presence in this place. He has, he, I don't know what he saw, because the Bible says no man can see God and live. But he saw God in some form, whether it's Shekinah glory or something. And he says, I, I am afraid. I have seen God, and, and he's in this place, and I didn't even know it. I slept here. And I put this rock in my pillow. I'm traveling. I spent the night and I didn't even know this was a special place. Because God is here. And he was afraid, verse 17. And he said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. And early the next morning, Jacob took the stone that he had placed under his head, or stones, set it up as a pillar, and he poured oil on top of it, and he called that place Bethel. Though the city, the city used to be called Luz. And Jacob made a vow, and he said this, if God, and I don't want, I don't know that this is so much conditional as, because God's already promised all this. He's affirming what God has already promised to him because God said this is all going to happen. 
And he says, indeed, if God is with me and will watch over me on this journey I'm taking, will give me food to eat, clothes to wear, nothing else. If I have enough to eat and enough to wear that I, that I survive to come back to this place, this happens, and I return in safety to my father's house, then the Lord will be my God, and this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, God, I will return to you a tenth, a tithe. The house of God. Jacob says, I am calling this place the house of God, and I am going to build a house. But what did he do? What did he put up? He just put up the stones. He just made an, uh, an altar of sorts. And he poured oil as a sacrifice, whatever oil he had with him, which was for his journey, which was important to have. But he poured out that oil and he poured it on that stone and said, this is Ba'ith El. Ba'ith House El God. This is Beth El. This is the house of God. And then he takes off on his journey to Haran. and says, I'm going to come back here. And when I come back, I'm going to worship at this place. This is the house of God. What kind of a house was that? I asked you what a house was. What a home is. What kind of a house is that? The house of God. But it was just a stone. But it was the house of God. He calls it that. It's the word oikos. The word we get, it's house, oikonomia. It's the house of God. It's a house. It's a place. And he resumes his journey. And I got to thinking about this. What makes this place in Bethel? And Bethel becomes a permanent fixture in the Holy Land. It becomes a permanent, prominent place in Israel's story. What makes it so? What makes it? That he would call, why did he just call this the place of God? He could have said that in Hebrew. He could have said this is the place where God came. He could have said that just like I can say it in English. But instead he says this is the house, the home of God. What made it the house of God? It's because of God's presence. It was a place that God chose to meet in a very special way with Jacob. And because God did that, Jacob says, this is the house of God. This is our home. And it becomes that place forever. Beth El, the house of God. This morning we dedicated our new remodel of our facility, the Fireside Commons. Trying to decide, what are we going to call this? Um, and you'll call it what you want, you know. <laughs> but uh, it's, it's a commons. It's a place for common gathering. We want you, we want you to feel comfortable there. It's, it's a fireside room because you probably noticed we had a fireside before in there, right? How many of you have ever seen a fire in that fireside up until this last year? Oh, come on. When did you see that? Oh, that's right. right. Sorry, you did it, and they filled the church with smoke, right? And Sharon Amundsen put the logs in her car to take them home because, and it, and Sharon Bauer, oh, Sharon Bauer, sorry, Sharon Amundsen, no, Sharon Bowers put the logs in her car and took them home and almost burned the car up. So we didn't use that fireplace a lot. I've been here 35 years, 
I have seen it used once. Maybe that was the time, Kyle. Um, and uh, But you may have noticed we, we took the copper of the fireplace. That copper was fashioned down. Well, I say we, um, but the, the contractors did. And uh, Craig designed it. And they took the copper that was uh, fashioned down at Carl Larson's father's boatyard in Duwamish River. If you ever notice the cross on top of our church, right where I'm standing up there, if you look outside and we go by, that cross was fashioned down there as well. And so we saved the copper, we moved it over, and we now have a fireplace that you can turn the switch on. And I've seen it in the first two days used more than I saw it in 35 years. And it didn't fill up with smoke. Okay? So um, we dedicated our new space this morning. Is there a house of God today? Is this the house of God? Is there a house of God today? Is there one house of God? Is this God's home? Is this a house? What are we dedicating? Is this a house of God? I'd like to suggest to you, and maybe carefully, because I understand all the ramifications, but I would like to suggest yes. Just as I have a household, you know, we, I've, I'm, I've been blessed in a very, very unique way. I am able to live in the house I grew up in as a child. We, we purchased it from my mom some years ago. And so it's the family home. Now I'm sort of the curator of the family property, right? So it's not quite that easy either to, to leave it, right? <laughs> because a lot of memories there. Um, my children were raised there. This is I was raised there. My sister uh, at Christmas Eve, when we got together, said, we ought to reenact that picture sometime when you were born. And uh, the, my two sisters and my brother could stand alongside and we could put you on the coffee table and take a picture. <laughs> and I said, no. <laughs> we're not going to reenact that scene again from 1952. Just remember it. My grandchildren come to my house. It's our household. They have their own homes now in Michigan and in Linwood and North End of Seattle, Edmonds. They have their own homes now. But it's our, what makes it our household? Somebody owned it before my family. I'm sure someday in history and down the future, someone else will probably own it. But it's our house because it's our family. And I would like to suggest to you, yes, it's okay to say this is the house of God. This is a house where we have a deep, deep connection with the family of God. Brian is truly a house of God, just as the churches up and down 185th Street over here, the Covenant Church, Lutheran Church, the Presbyterian Church, as you go down that way, churches up, yes, they are houses of God. No one has a corner on that. No one is exclusively the house of God. We are not the temple of Jerusalem. But we are a house of God. This morning we read a prayer request from Myanmar, a celebration. I think it was their first meeting. Alex, is that right? It was their first meeting in their new facility, in whatever it was. Could have been a home, could have been an office, I don't know. But it was their new first gathering as a church in Myanmar with the missionaries who started to work there. We have missionaries and churches and families of God meeting all over this world today in all different sorts of circumstances. We have 
Christians meet all over, all over our city in different places, in rented facilities, in homes, in schools, in cathedrals, in churches large and small. But if it's a place where we as a family, as a household, meet with our Father, it's a house of God. And that's okay. It's okay to think of it that way. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, I'd like to point this passage out to you. I, this is an amazing passage. In 1 Timothy, as Paul writes in the pastoral epistles toward the end of his life, First and Second Timothy, and he writes to Timothy, and he says in chapter 3, in verse 14, Although I hope to come to you soon, you know, I, I'm planning to come. Paul's making plans, even in 2 Timothy, just before he dies, he's, he's making plans to, to write and visit, but he knows his time is near. I hope to come to you soon. I'm writing, even though I'm doing this, I'm writing you these instructions so that, in case I don't get there, and until I get there, if I am delayed, you will know how people are to conduct themselves in God's household. In the Greek, it's just God's house. It just says, in God's house. Which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the foundation of truth. Now, Yes, the church, the body of Christ is much bigger than any local body. And certainly Paul is the one who has been teaching that. He is the one who is introduced by revelation. He's the only one that mentions it, introduces this concept of the body of Christ, where Christ is the head and we are the body, the church, the body of Christ. That's why oftentimes we refer to that way, the church, the body of Christ. But I want you to notice the context in 1 Timothy chapter 3, the context, when he's talking about the leadership in verse 12, he says a deacon, an elder, a leader, a pastor, must be the husband of but one wife, must manage his children and his house well. So the context right here in the passage is, listen, leaders of a church, if, if you're going to be called to leadership, you must also know how to to, to serve and lead your house, your home, before you can help lead God's house. And then he goes right into saying, to, to speaking about this, that he says, the household of God, which is the church of the living God. So I want to suggest to you, but certainly Paul is aware and teaching of the big picture of the church, but I think he's also speaking specifically to Timothy, who appeared to be ministering in Ephesus, about the church there. And he says, Timothy, teach these people so in case I don't get there, they will know how to live and how to conduct themselves as a house of God. Because this is where God meets. God is not exclusively. He meets with us. He's with us all week long. But when we gather together as a body of Christ, as individuals, as a community, I like the phrase community of faith. When we gather as a community of faith, are we not gathering as a community of God? And Paul says, listen, this household is a very important place. Why? It is the pillar. And he's talking about the church here. This is, this is a little hard to, 
to fully grasp, but he's talking about the church here. He says it is the pillar and foundation of the truth. The church is not the truth. God is the truth. Amen? God's Word we hold up high in our church. God's Word is the truth. And the church's role is to be a foundation and pillar of this truth and this beautiful new remodel we have. Because those of us who work here every day, we've been able to watch it take place from the very beginning. You don't see the new steel beams that are holding up because that wall we took out was holding up the roof to some degree. Right, Craig? I mean, you know, and I'm not an architect, but I know that much. Right? And in order to support the new roof, we had to put in new beams. You don't see them. I know where they are. I'll show them to you sometime. Make a $10 donation to our building project and I'll, I'll point them out to you. <laughs> you might be able to figure it out. But there are several of them. Over here, at this end, and at that end. They were placed on new foundations. They were called footings. The concrete truck came and they poured them and they made them and they poured these footings. That is the, the King James, I think, uses the term bulwark. It's the foundation. And Paul says, think of it this way, that the church is, when it comes to handling God's truth, we are called to be the foundation. We are to, we are to understand what the core values that underlie everything. Listen, friends, if, if, those, if those footings are not poured correctly, the pillars are not going to do any good. You can put them on dirt. You can put the pillars on dirt if you want, but they're not going to do any good. What are the core values that the, that the church is built on? And the pillars that rise up to support it so that the building is, is firm and secure. Paul says, listen, this is so important. Timothy, help those people, help them understand that this faith community, no matter if it meets in a house, if it meets in an apartment, if it meets in a storefront, if it meets in a cathedral, if it meets in a church building like we have here, if it meets in the gym like we did for five months this, this past year. When they gather, and they gather at a place, and they do so regularly like that, remind them they are handling the truth of God. And God wants us to be foundational and a pillar so that this truth is handled correctly and passed on to the next generation and that it impacts how we live, how we think, and everything about us. The historic Reformation tradition is that the Word of God is our final authority in faith and in practice. It's our final authority for everything we believe and everything we do. And that is the Reformation tradition that we as Protestants stand in and do so at this church. Friends, the house of God does exist today. We are a house of God. Why is this place important? What are the core foundational things that we stand on? In both Ephesians and Colossians, in the prison epistles, Paul says this in both Ephesians and Colossians, he says it twice, it's so important. But in Colossians, oops, excuse me, Colossians chapter 3, and in verse 15, Colossians, Paul says this, to the church at Colossae, to the church at Colossae, 
He says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Yes, to individuals, but he's talking to the church. Since as members of one body you are called to peace. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ, this is to the church, let the word of Christ be at home, dwell in you, richly, what? As you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, with gratitude to your hearts to God, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. As we sing together, we are not just singing songs. We are worshiping, but we are teaching one another. As we gather around God's Word, as our children meet, as our young people meet with Pastor Kevin and the leaders, we are teaching and admonishing. We are encouraging. We are helping one another. We are fellowshipping. We are being a family of God. And this takes place in the house of God. This is why it's important. God has called us to be foundational and to be pillars of holding up His truth. Who is up to that task? But together, we can do this with the power of the Holy Spirit to worship, to gather, to help, to admonish sometimes. Say, hey, brother, sister, really, is that the best way to do this? You really think that's helpful for what God wants from you, for your family? To teach one another the church, the bulwark and foundation of God's truth. The centrality of Christ. The centrality of His Word. Of nurture, praise, and evangelism and outreach. You know, you know by far, statistically, how most people come to Christ? It's not through an evangelism program. Those are great. Not through television. Most adults and young people come to Christ through a friend or acquaintance. When we met in a gym in there. That gym, how we had it set up, is about half the seating of this building here. That's why you felt like you were really full. When we came back to here and said, wow, we got more space. There's space for more people here. Yeah, because that's about half the seating of what we have in here. You were also closer to me. I could actually see all of you. Your eyes. Okay. You know what? Why don't you reach out? You got friends. I got friends. You got relatives. I have relatives. Have you invited them to come with you? To hear God's word? To, to, to see what it's like to be part of God's family? Maybe they're believers who no longer go to church for whatever reason. Why don't we invite them? Why don't you and I be the evangelistic program of this body of Christ? We have a beautiful facility. We are stewards of what God has placed in our hands. This house of God matters. I think architecture matters myself. I think it's great to have a place. You don't have to have this kind of place, but God has blessed us with it. That is welcoming. Listen, if you want to come during the week and sit in the fireside commons and meet with somebody, you want to just come and have a place to pray and read your Bible, to just get, come. It's open. It's yours. Invite somebody. The house of God matters.
We are a house of God. And I want to conclude with this. The story has a great ending. Because Jacob does come back to the land, as you know. He comes back a changed man. He comes back a changed man. In Genesis chapter 35, we were in Genesis 28. Let's conclude with this. In Genesis chapter 35, Genesis chapter 35, it's time to come home. It's time to come back to Canaan. Verse 1, God said to Jacob, go up to Bethel. It's time to leave. He's on his way back. God says, go up to Bethel, the house of God, and settle there. Build an altar there to God, who appeared to you when you were fleeing from your brother Esau. Go back to where we started, Jacob. Go back to where we started this journey. Remember I told you, I'm going to, take, I'm going to bring you back safely. I'm bringing you back. Go back there, to the house of God. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Get rid of the foreign gods you have with you. Purify yourselves. Change your clothes. Then come, let us go up to Bethel, the house of God, where I will build an altar to God, who answered me in my distress, who has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave Jacob all the foreign gods they had, the rings in their ears, and Jake, all the things that were part of their worship of cultic idols in, the, in, the, in Haran. And he buried them. That's great. He buried them under the oak at Shechem. And they set out, and the terror of God fell upon the towns all around them, and no one pursued them. And Jacob and all the people with him came to Luz, that is Bethel, in the land of Canaan. There he built an altar. He still doesn't build a house, but it's the house of God. And he built that altar, and he called the place El Bethel, God's house of God. Because it was there that God revealed himself to him. It was there where he and God met. It was the presence of God. And Deborah, Rebecca's nurse, died and was buried under the oak below Bethel. Now I want you to notice, well, this is an important place, friends. This is a very important place. After Jacob returned from Padam Aram, God appeared to him again and blessed him and said, Your name is Jacob. But you will no longer be called Jacob. Your name will be Israel. And he named him Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and increase the number. A, a nation and a community of nations will come for you. Kings will come from your body. The land I gave to Abraham, Isaac, I give to you. I give this land to your descendants after you. And God went up from him at the place where he had talked with him. God went up from him. And Jacob set up a stone pillar at the place where God had talked with him. He poured out a drink offering once again on it. He poured oil on it. Jacob called the place Bethel. And then he moved on. He never built a temple. He never built a house of worship. I'm not sure he built a house there, but forever this place is called the house of God. Now listen, what do I want more than anything for our church family? What some years from now, when I'm dead and gone, and someone says, oh, remember Pastor Shamaria? And someone says, who? <laughs> who was that? But maybe somebody will come back here. 
Maybe someone will come back who's been away for a long time like they do now. And remember that what we tried to do was to create a church home. Friends, what I want for my grandchildren and my children and what I want for your grandchildren and your children, I want them to have what I have been graciously given by God. A place where I can come and this will always be God's home and my home. And when your children or my grandchildren, wherever God takes them, return to this place after 10, 20, 30, 40 years, I want them to be able to come here and say, this is the place where I was loved, where I was nurtured, where we worshiped, where God's presence was with us in a, in a special way. We had a place to meet and be a part of God's family and household and community of faith. That's what I want. And I want us to reach this community that they can come and be a part of a place that matters for eternity. And that you can go out from this place being refreshed and encouraged and yes, Dare I say, you left this place and said, we met with God today in a special way. Because we were here as a family. And we dedicate this building and our gym and our children's classes and our youth room and our park and everything that is here, we dedicate it to being a foundation and a pillar of what only matters for eternity, what we find in God's Word. Amen? Amen. Let's close our service with our final song. Amen. If that's not your story, you can have Jesus today. Not by joining our church, not by coming and seeing me or anybody else, but praying to God and saying, I know I'm a sinner, and I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross of Calvary and paid the debt of our sin, was buried in that tomb, rose from the dead, and offers you forgiveness for sins and eternal life. I would love to pray with you, Pastor Gary, Pastor Kevin, we'd love to pray with you and talk with you if you have more questions about that. As we leave this place today, I also am so thankful that one of our legacies that we are leaving our children and our families is that this is a church that cares about world missions. And we are committed to missions. And we are part of these family and households of God all over the world. And tonight, our brother Jeremy Clark is going to be here. You're inserting a bulletin from Grace Ministries around the world. He's going to be with us tonight to bring us updates, to share news, so you can pray, you can be a part of this. And I really would encourage you, come and join us at 6 o'clock tonight for a one-hour service and share in this ministry with our brother Jeremy. God bless you. God bless every one of you. And thank you for being part of this family, for visiting today. Thank you for loving the Lord Jesus Christ and serving him. Let's go out into God's peace and mercy and grace and love. And let's celebrate once again. What day?
Come on. What day? Resurrection. First day of the week, our Lord Jesus rose from the dead and broke the bonds of sin and death and opened up the way for life eternal. Amen.